Again, we're teaching on faith towards God. And uh, I want you to go ahead and turn, as it were, to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, and then Mark 4. We're going to talk about uh, the sower in a little bit as we continue on from where we left off here. But as we, just to re rehash just for a moment about where we finished the last session, let's remember what Hebrews 4.2 says, if you can quote it or if you can remember it again. Hebrews 4.2 says, For unto us, as well as unto them, was the word preached. Listen to it afresh. For unto us, as well as unto them, was the word preached. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So where we left off is wanting to communicate that everywhere that Jesus Christ went, he preached the same message, the same victory, the same life, the same desire of his Father. He said, I've come that you might hear the Father. In fact, you know, you love the verses that you read in John 5. Jesus said, he said, the things that I do, he said, I do only what I see the Father doing. He said, I say only what I hear the Father saying. In fact, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, that takes extreme humility. But he was identifying with his call and with his purpose. He wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. In fact, do you know that in Scripture, there's no place in Scripture where Jesus Christ ever received praise unto himself? You'll look at places like where people began to say things to him. And he'd say this. He'd say, why callest thou me good? There be no good but the Father. And it's an interesting thing when you study praise and worship, that praise, Jesus never received praise to himself. He always, when people, now I didn't say you can't praise Jesus, but when Jesus received praise, he gave it to the Father. Amen. And today, you see, this is what we do. Now, if you can see to Jesus, to the Father, today, sometimes, for some reason, people will want to praise us. I always remember what Pat Robertson said years ago. He was a, introduced at a meeting one day, and everybody began to applaud and applaud and applaud and applaud and applaud for Pat Robertson. And he came up and he said, please, please. He said, you know, you applauding for me is kind of like, you know, if the people of outside of Israel would have applauded for the donkey that Jesus rode in on. <laughs> you know what? I mean? The donkey is not the one who gets the applause. Sometimes we get to stand up here, but ideally what we're up here to do is represent him. And so sometimes people will try to heap praise on us. And that's critically important because when that happens, it'll kill you. There's two things that will destroy a minister. Praise and criticism. And both of them you have to let roll off your back like water off a duck. But the fact of the matter is, when people do want to offer us praise because of something that we may do right, we, like Jesus, have to be quick to refer that praise to Jesus, who will then refer it to the Father. Interesting little things when you study Scripture. But nevertheless, the Lord said, uh, He said, you know, the same message. He spoke the same truth everywhere He went. And the issue was, again, not the message. The issue was the heart and the ear of the people that were hearing, the people that were there. The issue is whether or not they mixed faith with what they heard. But a familiar verse, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Again, everything I read is from the Amplified Bible. And Paul said, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Ministering servants, not heads of parties, through whom you believed, even as the Lord appointed to each his task. Verse 6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God all the while was making it grow, and he gave the increase. Now what we're going to look into, of course, is that classic passage in Mark 4 where Jesus said, the sower sows the word. He calls his word seed, doesn't he? Categorically, he calls it seed. Now Genesis 6 teaches us this truth about seed. Genesis 6 is where God releases the law of the Spirit into the earth when he says that as long as the earth remains. Listen to that. Really hear it. See, don't just turn off because you can quote a scripture. You have to approach the verses as if you've never heard them every time you approach them. Otherwise, you do yourself a disservice because you'll turn off because of your ability to quote something. That's, I had to learn all these lessons so many times the hard way, you know, to approach the scripture fresh every time. But Genesis 6 said, as long as the earth remains... Seed time, there will always be seed time and harvest. Ecclesiastes talks about seasons. Everything about the Word of God and the way God functions is through the principle of seed, sowing and reaping. Everything about our life has to do with seed. 
uh, whether it be spiritual, whether it be physical, whatever, everything has to do with seed and understanding seasons. There's a time to plant, there's a time to harvest. You know, you can't harvest in winter. When it's wintertime, it's wintertime. And all of these things will help us if we'll understand even in our own lifetimes, our own, our own positions in, in the body of Christ. Sometimes, you know, all of us would love it to be springtime every season of the year. But it's not. That's not the way of God. Because things happen in winter that can only happen in winter. So winter's important. Summer's important. Fall's important. Spring's important. We need them all. Otherwise, God wouldn't have released them and made things like he did. And there's the same seasons of the soul, as it were. And all of them are vital. But in verse 6 again, he said, I planted. Now, so Paul is literally saying, I planted some seed. He said, Apollos watered. He said, but God is the one who makes it grow and gives the increase. Verse 7, so neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but only God who makes it grow and become greater. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are equal, one in aim. At least we should be. I'd like to go into a ministerial teaching right now. <laughs> but he who plants and he who waters are equal. One in aim and of the same importance and esteem, yet each shall receive his own reward or wages according to his own labor. For we are fellow workmen, joint promoters, labors together with and for God. And here's the simple part I want you to see. That God's word says categorically, you are God's garden. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm God's garden. You are God's garden and vineyard and field. You are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. You are God's building. Now go ahead and turn to Mark 4, and we'll begin to look into this familiar passage. But again, it's, it's vital, 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 vital that we really hear this because of all the truth. In fact, let me say as, well, I'll just <laughs> tell you what I'll do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start from verse 1 in Mark 4 instead of verse 12. Because I want you to see a statement that a lot of people don't read. Mark chapter 4. The word of the Lord is seed. Again, this is from the Amplified, so it will sound different. If you don't have an Amplified, you might just listen, but that's okay. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the lake. You know, I, I, I like that right there, I'll tell you. I, I just, just stop. There's another place where it says, he, you know, he sat down and taught by the seaside. I keep telling Julie, you know, we're, we're out of the will of God. We're, we're supposed to be teaching by, by lakes and by seasides. and Anyhow, that's just my own personal doctrine. But again, Jesus began to teach beside the lake, and a very great crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a ship in order to sit in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was at the lakeside on the shore. And he taught them many things and parables, illustrations, or comparisons put beside truths to explain them. And in his teaching, he said to them, give attention to this. Now here, in the Amplified, it will have a huge exclamation point there. And in, the, in, in good translations, well, because there was a strength as Jesus basically almost yelled this because of the importance he wanted people to see about this particular parable. And you'll see it even more so in just a moment. But he said, give attention to this. And I would suggest to you that if Jesus said, give attention to it, he would like us to give attention to it. Give attention to this. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Other seed of the same kind, in other words, the seed's not different, fell on ground full of rocks where it had not much soil. And at once it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And when the sun came up, it was scorched. And because it had not taken root, it withered away. Other seed of the same kind fell among thorn plants, and the thistles grew, and pressed together, and utterly choked and suffocated it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed of the same kind fell into good, well-adapted soil, and brought forth grain growing up and increasing, and yielded up to thirty times as much, and sixty times as much, and even a hundred times as much as he had sown. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him be hearing. And let him consider and comprehend. And as soon as he was alone, those who were around him with the twelve apostles began to ask him about the parable. And he said to them, To you 
has been entrusted the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, did you hear that? What was the parable he just spoke? Now, he's about to explain it to the disciples, but he said, give attention to this. And then he says to them, in referring to what he just shared, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, the word mystery in the Greek, mysterion, M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-O-N, if you look it up in W. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, it says the word mystery is not the word that we normally hear in our Western language because the word mystery to us means, uh, it means something, knowledge withheld. But in the Greek, it doesn't mean knowledge withheld. It means rather truth revealed. That's what it means. That's why I like speaking on other tongues so much. What happens when you speak in tongues? Because when a man speaks in other tongues, he speaks mysteries. He's revealing truth. The water of the Spirit is washing the silt away from truth so that you might see it. That's why you need to spend a lot of time speaking in other tongues because you begin to see what others don't see. It's always there. Remember, all revelation is the word apocalypto for revelation. The word revelation means that something that's always been there is suddenly seen. In other words, that's why there's no such thing as a new revelation because it's not new. It's just that it's been revealed to you. It's always been there. But he said here, to you, speaking of this parable, it has been given to know the mystery, the revealing of the kingdom of God, how it operates. Now, one of the most familiar verses we probably ever learned when we were first saved is Matthew 6, 33. Anybody here be able to quote it? Seek ye first. It doesn't say second, does it? Does it say third? It says first. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things added together shall be added unto you, speaking of all the things that the Gentiles seek. Now, a lot of people, I remember when I was first taught that verse, when I first heard it when I was first saved, seek ye first the kingdom, I thought it kind of meant go to church. Because you'd hear people condemn people. You know, well, the problem with you is you're not seeking the kingdom first. You're not going to church. But really, if the words, when you study the scripture, it means to seek the kingdom means to discover how the kingdom operates. Seek the kingdom. Find out how the kingdom operates. Jesus said in Luke, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. Kingdom, dominion of the king. The dominion of our king is already within us. That's why in Romans 5 says, as many as, has, as many as have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life as kings by one Christ Jesus because the dominion of the king has come within us. But we've lived so beneath so beneath what really has happened in Christ that it's just, you know, the devil's worked overtime for 2,000 years to get us so full of doubt and unbelief, and like I said, <coughs> spiritually ignorant, that we've been perishing. But he said, unto you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom, the revealing, how the kingdom operates, how the kingdom operates. And the kingdom operates through the revelation of seed and sowing and earth, the basic things that you can look right outside these windows and have understanding come from. That's what I love about the Lord, didn't he? He always just used, indeed, parables, things laid aside truths that you could look at that every man could see instantly what they meant by what God revealed of him about his own, uh, through what God revealed about his own self in creation itself. That's why you can, indeed, look at creation. That's why every man on planet Earth that's ever lived is without excuse, Romans 1 says, because God hath revealed himself. That's the dividing line of Scripture that you have to believe, whether you like it or not. Well, what about those poor people there? How could they have ever known God? Let me tell you something. You have to start with the basic biblical revelation that God is good, that God, it says in Romans 13, 10, that love never hurts anybody. God is never, there's not an unjust cell in his being. No man or woman will ever go to hell, ever, ever has gone to hell that didn't have God revealed to them at some point, in some juncture, in some way, to the degree that they were faced with the choice. You must believe that. You must get past your intellect and understand that God is a good God. Romans 1 is clear. God has revealed himself to every man and woman that has ever lived. Maybe not in the way you think, but like I said, God's not limited by your definitions. 
But God is love, and love has never hurt anybody. And love never sentences anybody to hell. People sentence themselves to hell through rejection of God. Now, that's a whole other thing, but I just thought I'd lay that out there for you to consider before lunch. <laughs> oh, well. But now listen to what he said. And he said to them, well, verse 10, as soon as he was alone, those who were around him with the twelve began to ask him about this parable of the sower. And he said to them, to you has been entrusted the mystery of the kingdom of God, that is the secret counsels of God which are hidden from the ungodly. But for those outside of our circle, everything becomes a parable, in order that they may indeed look and look, but not see, and perceive, and may hear and hear, but not grasp, and comprehend, lest happily they should turn again, and it, their willful rejection of the truth, should be forgiven them. Verse 13. But this is in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not discern and understand this parable? Now here, listen. How then is it possible for you to discern and understand all the parables? Now do you know what that says? Can I put it in just language that's easy? Again, if you read a good lexicon, it says that this parable, Jesus says, you don't understand this parable? He said you need to because this parable is the key that will unlock knowledge of all other parables in Scripture. You see, this is the, the cornerstone teaching. This is the combination. This is the major key. I, I hope you really hear this. Because again, some truth is so familiar that it's lost its potency. Because we've heard teachings, like I said, but we're not living out the truth. But he said, know you not this parable? How then will you know all parables? Because this is the key that unlocks the revelation of seed, sowing, earth. The revelation of seed, sowing, and earth. And what earth is designed to do is the key to understanding everything else Jesus Christ brings. Because he is the sower. But earth determines. Uh, we'll just keep going. Listen, watch. So now he begins to explain it. Verse 14. The sower, he says categorically now, then he says that just like the sower sows the seed, he's going to say, he said, the word of God is seed. The word of God, Jesus said, is seed. The sower sows the word. The ones along the path are those who have the word sown in their hearts. But when they hear, Satan comes at once. And by force takes away the message which is sown in them. And in the same way, the ones sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once receive and accept and welcome it with joy, but they have no real root in themselves. And so they only endure for a little while. But when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately are offended, they become displeased, indignant, resentful, and they stumble and fall away. And the ones sown among the thorns are others who hear the word, then the cares and anxieties of the world, and the distractions of this age, and the pleasure and the delight and the false glamour and the deceitfulness of riches, and the craving and the passionate desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word, and it becomes fruitless. Verse 20, and those sown on the good, well-adapted soil are the ones who hear the word and receive and accept and welcome it and bear fruit some 30 times as much as was sown, some 60 times as much as was sown, and some even 100 times as much. And I'd like to keep reading, but I won't. But now, so the issue is, again, no matter how many times you've heard this, really listen to what he's saying. The issue is that the seed doesn't change. And, you know, even in my briefcase, I happened to look this morning, I've still got a, I've got a packet of seed in my briefcase that I use sometimes, but because of what we're doing, it's be difficult for me to hand seed out right now. But, you know, the remarkable thing about seed is if you were to hold seed in your hand right now, you can have seed in your hand, and it'll remain seed. 
But the miraculous thing about seed, and just, just think about this, consider it's, this is so simple, but again, you know, presumption is the lowest form of knowledge, so I don't want to presume anything, and other people will be listening to these things. But the miraculous thing about seed is that seed has within itself the power to bring itself to pass again. Now, did you hear that? I want to say it again. Seed has within itself the power to bring itself to pass again. But the thing about seed, seed will never produce what it is intrinsically designed to produce until it is put into the correct environment. You know, in archaeological digs, they found vials in Egypt of seed. They found vials of seed that were put in these vials. They, they trace them back 2,000 years before the birth of Christ, during the time of Abraham. V seed in vials that remained seed for 4,000 years. But it was incredible when they broke the seals off these little things and they found seed in it. You know that they took that seed that was 4,000 years old that had remained seed for 4,000 years, but they put it in something called earth and they watered it. And you know what happened? It actually grew and became what had been within it for 4,000 years but what had never had the opportunity to become because of where it was contained. Seed is remarkable. I said seed is remarkable. But for seed to produce, but you have to remember what I said, Genesis 6, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. Jesus Christ categorically says, the sower sows the word. The word of God he likens to seed. How many of you know you don't plant seed and have a harvest the next morning? If you do, you know, you're a heck of a gardener. But it won't be the fault of the gardener. It'll be the, the skill of the gardener. It'll be, it'll be the, the grace that's on that seed. But nevertheless, that's not the way of the norm, is it? To say the least. I keep hesitating because it's such a familiar message that I, I know that everybody that hears it, well, I heard all that, I know that. But see, they don't know that because why do they panic then and get so frustrated and get so weary and get so impatient? You plant seed and part of being a gardener is you have to learn how to wait. But you know, a farmer in the natural, my dad had a green thumb. I don't know what they call it over here. My dad... Anything he did in the garden, anything he did with uh, trees, my dad was incredible. Work, we had berries, we, we, had, we had eight acres of strawberries, we had, we had apple trees, orange trees, peach trees, apricot trees. My dad even grafted a peach and an apricot tree together. I'm not kidding. And we had what he called peach cots. <laughs> and I mean, they were good. I'm serious. I can taste them now. <laughs> it goes to lunch. <laughs> But I mean, they were good. And people from Davis University, which is the major agricultural university of California, my dad just had a knack. And we had just eight acres of strawberries. And people from the university would come down to this little area where we lived outside of Bakersfield, California, to see what my dad did with strawberries because of the quality and how, how marvelous they were. Dad was just good at this stuff. And we'd dig these little rows and stuff. And I grew up all my life around my dad and working, walking out there with him and stuff and how he'd you know, plant the seed and corn, sweet corn, sweet potatoes and all this stuff, and just how he'd work with this stuff and, and you know, taking your finger and putting your finger down the soil, but how he would prepare the soil. I mean, he spent so much time preparing the soil. You know, England is known for their gardening, so I'm speaking to the converted, right? <laughs> all of you are perfect in that area. But, I mean, I'd watch Dad, and, you know, the basic little, such obvious things you learn, like, you know, you don't, we, you don't wait until the place is absolutely cluttered and overgrown with weeds before you pick weeds, don't you? I mean, he, you know, all the little things, son, just, that's why you, he walked out there every day, every morning of his life, my dad would be an early riser, and he'd walk out there, and he'd just, these little bitty, little bitty old things of weed would begin to pop up, and he'd just, you know, he'd pull the stuff out. Every day, he, it was his great joy. He'd just walk amongst these rows and pull these little bits out, and he'd, you know, and always just tell me the basics, son, it's a lot easier to get them now. It's a lot easier to get them now. It's so obvious, isn't it? You know, it's not like Jesus gave us something hard to understand. It's so easy to get them now. It's so easy to get them now. It's so easy to get them now. It's a lot harder. Because I remember when they grow, he'd, and what, did he, what the, did he always tell me every time when you go to pull weeds? He said, did you get the root? Did you get the root? Did you get the root? Don't just pluck that thing. Put that 
tool down in there, dig in there, get the root. Because if you don't get the root, you will have the weed. Deep revelation, right? Deep revelation. But see, it's so obvious. Why, why do we then have to go over and over again what we all nod our heads to? Get it while it's little. Is the soil prepared? See, the thing about earth, the thing about earth is God designed earth. And remember that earth is likened unto the human spirit. You do know that, right? The word of God is sown in the heart. The word of God is sown in the heart. So God likens the human spirit to earth. And the thing about earth is, remember that earth, God's designed earth to bring forth from whatever seed is put in it. Again, I'm sorry it's so obvious, but you know, evidently we need to keep teaching it because of all the people that are having the rotten harvest that they're having. So, you know, again, soil doesn't differentiate between rose bushes and marijuana. You know what I mean? It doesn't differentiate between corn and what have you. It just produces. And God's made the human spirit like this. That's why God's word says in Proverbs, you must guard your heart above all that you guard. Because out of it proceed the issues of life. And I say again what I said the last hour. See, and again, people get frustrated because I know I say the same thing over and over and over and over again. But I can't help it. Teaching comes by way of repetition. It does. We have to be with you long enough until we can see what's actually in your heart. Because if we don't get to your heart, you're going to keep having the same harvest over and over and over and over again. This is why when we deal with people that have gone through divorces or heartaches and heartbreaks and things, we have to make sure, we tell them all the time, don't jump into a new relationship until your heart's been healed. Because otherwise you'll take into the new one the roots of the old one. And people say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I keep having the same problems with man after man or with woman after woman or with job after job. Whatever it is, it's because they never want to take the time to take root downward first so that you can bear fruit upward. In other words, to really get the soil of your spirit cleansed, dug up, cultivated. Because otherwise, you are your own worst enemy. And see, we can sit here and you can come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and be preached to have hands laid on you, worship and get in the presence of God. But if at some point you don't yourself, because you know what? The Bible says we as ministers are to hold, are to hold forth the word of God. In 1 Timothy, Paul said this. He said, we as ministers are to be apt to teach, patient, and I mean patient, in, listen how he words it. Instructing those who oppose themselves. Did you hear that? Instructing those who oppose themselves that, peradventure, they might acknowledge the truth and recover themselves. Recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who takes them captive at his own will. Yeah, it's wonderful when you have a man that's paid a price that walks in the anointing. That, you can, that can pray for you and God can deliver you and set you free. But always remember this axiom, this principle. It's always easier to obtain than it is to maintain. You can get free, but staying free, you can't live with me, nor would you want to. You know what I mean? You can't live with Steve. Steve has an incredible gift in his life. I've watched so many people be delivered through Steve's ministry. But you know what? That doesn't mean they'll stay free. At some, when you study the life of Moody or Finney and these people, you know, Finney, still, of all the people you read after, had the greatest percentage of people who remained true to the faith. Something like 67%, I don't remember, so I may be misquoting the exact word, something like 67% of people who were saved and converted under Finney's uh, ministry were still converted five, six, ten years later. But do you know that the truth of the matter is, when you study the great, these great healing revivals or what have you, do you know that the truth of the matter is that over 80 to 90% of the people who received their healing through gifts of the Spirit lost their healing? Or they lost this or they lost that? Because it's not obtaining, it's maintaining. 
You can get something through a gift, but you keep something through your own labor. You hear me? And this is what we, you know, we have to somehow get people, like I said, I say it over and over again, to get past just learning to hear sermons and say, and letting this guy up here do the work. Because at some point, the Bible says every single one of you are going to have to become students. Study. Study. I know that you hate study, and here's a dirt. I know that you're not supposed to use four-letter cuss words in church, but there's a dirty word called work. <laughs> study to show yourself approved. Workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, we are lazy. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. You and I want somebody else to do the work for us. You study, you pray, you worship, and then bring the fruit of your life and pour it on me. Really, think about it. Whether it be, that's why we go to a Benny Hinn meeting. That's why we go to whoever one of yours, even if you don't like him, I don't care. Whoever you go to, whoever you go to, in the, why do you go there? Because you appreciate the fruit of somebody else's relationship with God. And yet, that same relationship is available to whosoever will. But a lot of people are content. Are content. They become sat actually satisfied. Contentment is a spiritual force. Satisfaction is a soulish emotion. People become satisfied. They become satisfied with allowing others to have a relationship so that that relationship can affect me. Now, you know what? The thing about our God is he's so good that he'll continue to bless you like that for the rest of your life. But the other thing is that God has extreme tears in his eyes when he realizes that he's paid such a price for all of us. Not just the precious few, as some call it. Not just for the ministry gifts. Because in God, like I said, we're all, we've all been joined by one spirit to the Lord. And we have now one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hallelujah. Amen. And this is what is so incredible to me. The grace of God has come to every man. That just, doesn't that make you, to me, that makes you want to smile. You know, yes, we have people that are teachers and preachers to help us along the way. But dear God, don't stay in school till you're 85. At some point, God wants you to graduate. Really. That's what Galatians speaks to so strongly. Galatians, I think it's five or six, where, where Paul says, now what I mean is this. When he's going through this whole argument there in the book of Galatians, he said, now what I mean is this. He said, the heir. How many of you know that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ and heirs of God? We are, aren't we? But did you really hear what Galatians says? He said, now the heir, as long as he is a child... Listen, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Now that's an allegory that speaks to old, the old ethic of when there was like a huge family home. And the Lord of the manor had a son who one day, he's, he's actually the Lord in waiting, you know what I mean? He's going to be the Lord of the whole estate. But as long as he's a child, he's unable to fulfill the responsibilities. And so he was put under a tutor. When you go back in this nation right here in Britain, and you go back and look at, uh, at uh, the feudal period in, of times, and during the Tudor ages and what have you, will see that that's how things worked. There were people that were appointed as tutors and teachers uh, to, the, to the gentry, you know, to the sons and to the daughters of the, of the wealthy. And they would teach them and teach them and teach them until at such a point in time they were shown to be ready to accept the responsibility of this big household. But in Jewish time, and in these times, when you study what Paul refers to, if you get Galatians, look at some commentaries, or read even Edersheim's Life and Times of Christ, and he gives a good, good, good uh, reference to this in there. But the issue was that they literally had a tutor, and, you know, around the time of what we call, you know, when they went through, um, today you are a man. Bar mitzvah. <laughs> Duh. About that time, you know, when they'd gone and when they'd been subjected to their tutors and they submitted themselves to the tutors, there came a time when the tutor would take the son, present him to the father in a ceremony, and say, today he's a man. And as of that moment, the father would begin to give responsibility and begin to give the and that son would begin to actually enjoy different privileges. Now, he'd always been a son. And he'd always been an heir, but now, because of his graduation, He's now able to actually exercise the authority of, a lord, of lordship. And he began to function in a whole new realm of authority. 
Now, the Bible says that today we have a tutor. Guess what his name is? Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit. And you see, listen to what Paul said again. Now the heir, seeing every single one of you in this room are an heir of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.29. You're the seed of Abraham. You're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You really are. Every one of you. But that doesn't mean anything. Don't mean to shut off your hallelujahs. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything as long as you remain a child. Because you know what? You are an heir. But that doesn't mean you'll ever enjoy the privileges of the household. Because the heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a servant. Though he is Lord of all. Oh, I wish you'd hear that. Heaven sees you as one of the lords that Jesus is Lord of. Now, we say that glibly, but my God, I don't think we'll ever really catch the truth of that till we get to heaven. He's king of kings. He's not king of miseries. <laughs> he didn't come to be king over a bunch of people that whimper and cry their whole life. He's the king of glory, the king of kings. And you think it's just kings. What's You're all priests and kings unto God. Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Hallelujah. Well, you better be careful. You know, we've lived so beneath our privileges, you see. But nevertheless, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But the heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. But he's under tutors until the appointed time. See, and if you keep submitting yourself to the Holy Ghost, every one of you, because God's not a man that he should lie, if you'll just keep yielding yourself to the teacher, to the Holy Ghost, there will come a time when the Holy Ghost, as it were, by way of allegory, will present you to God and say, this one's ready. This one's ready. And you'll know it the moment it happens. It's a spiritual thing, but it's a shift. There's a level of anointing. Because everything is by different levels of anointing. It's like kaboom. It's like a mantle. A coat comes on. And you don't ask for it. It just happens. And all of a sudden, you, you become aware there's a new authority. I've graduated this one. Now, there's other tests, but this one I've passed. So we're not saying that, you know, once and that's it forever. But there's tests and there's things that we go through. But I'm just saying if there are something like that, don't, you, don't stay in college till you're 85. Hallelujah. I can see I'm making you all happy again, but it's the truth. It's just that, you know, when I was at school, I learned a simple lesson. If I passed a test, I didn't have to take it again. Oh, well. Everything God does... He does according to seed and earth and soil and, and just the condition of the soil. Earth was created by God to produce. Earth will produce from whatever seeds put in it. Seed has within itself the power to bring itself to pass. That's why if you need healing, what do you need? What kind of seed do you need in your spirit? You need healing seed. If you need finances, what kind of seed do you need in your life? Financial seed. Let me ask you something. Right, let me give you, this is a profound revelation. I discovered this by accident. Corn seed does not produce rice. <laughs> I told you we were going to have some deep teaching this week. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh at me. I don't care. Think about it. Seed, everything God's made produces after its own kind. Doesn't it? That's why we try to tell people today, whatever harvest you have in your life. See, this is not condemnatory. This is by way of explanation. But it should be something that you, that you would receive. Whatever you have in your life today, at some point, is the cause or the reason because of seed that you received in your spirit. That you watered, that you nurtured, until you have what you have today. And don't get angry at me for saying that. Well, you don't know what happened to me. No, you don't know what Jesus did. 
See, that's what I had. That's what God kept saying to me. He used to make me so mad because I had all of my reasons and all my excuses because I, you know, I went through some tough times. But everybody's go through some tough times. Everybody's had some hellish things happen in their life. But you can't be a victim of your life. You have to be a master of it. If you don't allow experiences to dictate your life. If you were abused, if you were hurt, if you were beat, I can't take that away, but you can by planting something else that begins to grow. You know when you grow, look at it in gardens, there are some things that you buy that take over. You know what I mean? There are some plants that if you'll put them in there, it'll keep weeds, most of the weeds out because of how that particular plant grows. You know what I mean? There are some of the things of God, the truths of God, that if you will allow them to be planted, I'm guaranteeing you, it will just, just crush whatever used to be there. Destroy whatever used to be there. Give that other stuff no room. Give no place for that stuff to be there any longer. But you have to plant it and water it and nurture it. But like I said, it doesn't, you don't plant it and it's there instantaneously. But this is why you give yourself to this day after day. They were told to get fresh manna every day. That's all a type and a shadow. You're called to get the stuff every day, water it in prayer every day, look after the soil every day, pull those weeds while they're small. Don't let them get big. Hallelujah. Now, all the promises of God are seed, you see. Now, let me just read something I wrote down here. God's garden, every moral being on earth has been bought with the price to be the Lord's garden in which his imperishable seed, you know, that's First Peter, in which his imperishable seed is to grow and be cultivated and produce its wonders. There's not any seed of God's word that isn't wonderful. It really isn't. Because they, this seed, because this seed can accomplish such wonders, he wants all his seed to be planted, and he wants it to be planted in good ground. I'm, but you, you, God did not create some seed to never be planted. Because God's never wasted anything. So there's a lot of seed out there. God's not created anything any seed to not be planted. He wants it all planted. Because all of it produces something incredible. Because it's of God's creation. And God is good. Okay? Let me just keep reading here. David said, all his work is done in faithfulness. That's a simple verse, but I want you to hear it. All his work. How many of you want his work to be done? All his work is done in faithfulness. But listen to what that means. That means his works are done in faithfulness. For the word faithful to be used means something else has to be in place. Otherwise, there's nothing to be faithful to. And what David speaks to is his promises. All of God's work is done through his faithfulness toward his promises that he's made us. Okay? God wants... God's works are prevented until the seed is in good ground. Nothing, I'm just going to read it. Nothing can take the place of seed. Now listen to me. Nothing can take the place of seed. Not prayer, not worship, not anything, because prayer is not the seed. Worship is not the seed. Jesus said the word is the seed. Now did you really hear that? See, this is why, like, with everything I do, everything Steve does, anything, every, wherever our area of expertise is, wherever we want, I love, you know, I'd just as soon spend the whole day worshiping every day just about, or in prayer. I love prayer. I just love being alone with God and praying. But you know what? All of those things, worship and prayer, are basically like a, prayer and worship is like a hothouse that actually causes the word that's in your spirit to multiply, to grow, to become more vivid, more bright, more alive, healthier, greater fruit, sweeter. But all of my prayer and all of his worship will be zip if we don't have the seed. Because otherwise, we're worshiping. And that's great. See, don't, don't, don't mishear me. That's great. But Jesus is our master, and he said it's the seed that produces the wonders of God planted in the human spirit. So we worship over the seed. We pray over the seed. They're all areas that cause incubation. 
things to come alive. You begin to see because things, the clouds get out of the way. The sun rises upon the sea. Do you know what I mean? Worship blows away the storm and allows God's sun to shine. And I'm telling you, you need the sun to shine because that's what causes this stuff to happen. You know what I mean? We can go into a whole little study then about, I forget what the terminology is. The word is the seed. Prayer is, however, like I said, a hothouse, an environment which can multiply the seed's effectiveness. They are sown and tilled by prayer. We have all this glorious seed to plant and to tend, and yet so little of it gets planted and tended. Listen to this statement. If all farmers treated their seed as millions of church members today treat God's imperishable seed, the world would starve to death. I think I'll read that again. If all farmers treated their seed as millions of church members today treat God's imperishable seed, the world would starve to death. See, Acts 2.41 says they gladly received the word of God. If only we would get to the place where we just open our arms and say, I gladly receive this. In other words, I'm not going to, because you know what we do today? The word of the Lord comes forth and we go, well, no, I'm not sure if he means that or not. And we begin to bring all of our mind against the eternal truths of God. And we try to figure it out with this hunk of meat between our ears. The Bible says, again, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. You've got to have your minds renewed to the word of God. You don't take your thoughts and make God's word definable. You take God's word and make your thoughts definable. You hear me? You begin to think God's thoughts. Okay, so let me just read it again. And now look at this. The sower sows the word, verse 15. And you see, what is he speaking of here? All he's doing is speaking of four different types of soil. Every one of you have a heart, which is a human spirit, which God has given you. And he, when you got born again, gave you a brand new heart, a brand new spirit. All the junk was taken out so that now you could have brand new life and brand new hope and the promises of God put within it so that you could grow in faith. But he said the ones along the path are those who have the word sown in their hearts, but when they hear, Satan comes at once. See, one of the patterns is this. The moment the word comes, Satan comes. Did you hear that? When the word comes, Satan comes. This is why a lot of people think Satan wants to kill you. Let me tell you, he, he, will, he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But you have to understand, how does he kill and steal and destroy? You're destroyed through the ignorance of God's word. You're destroyed by not being doers of what God's told you to do. So the way he destroys you is when the word comes, he has to bring something immediately to steal the power of that seed. Well, how does he do that? When things of the spirit are words, he brings contrary seed, contrary words. That's why the Bible says you have to bring every thought into captivity to the mind of Christ. You have to bring, you have to cast down imaginations and everything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. See, he doesn't say he will do it. He said, you have to do that. Cast down those imaginations. Anything that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of this, tell it no. Jesus said in Matthew, take no thought, saying, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I wear? You see, the way you give life to a thought is when you speak it. Jesus said, the way you take a thought, take no thought, saying, See, just don't say it. I had to learn a long time ago. You know, you can't keep bad thoughts from coming, but you can keep them from staying. You're going to die. You're going to die. No, I'm going to live and declare the works of the Lord. I'm going to go broke. I'm going to go broke. No, I'm not. I'm a sower. In Jesus' name, I'm a tither. The, the devourer is rebuked in my case. In Jesus' name, all my needs are met because I qualify. I'm a giver. I'm a tither. In other words, you speak the opposite because if you speak the opposite of what your head's telling you, those wrong thoughts will die unborn. Take good thoughts and reject the bad thoughts. That's all, you know, in a nutshell, that's what this stuff is about. The ones along the path are those who have the word sown, but when they hear, Satan comes at once and by force takes away the message. See, often you'll be in a meeting. Now, I'm going to have to stop because we're already at the end of this hour, and we'll have to go back into this the next time. But I'm going to tell you what will often happen is you'll be, tell me this hasn't happened to you because it's, boy, you sit in a meeting and it's anointed. Whoever the guy is, whatever, like I said, God's anointing is like syrup. And the word's coming in, it's penetrating your heart. And I mean, it's strong and you can sense it. And God, this is real. 
bless God, I'm going to be a worshiper. <laughs> you know, and you know, Steve gets up there and teaches, and you come out of there going, I'm going to worship till the cows come home. Then I'm going to worship the cows back out. Then I'm going to worship someone. I'm going to worship for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a lover of God. The revelation strikes you. You know what I mean? Oh, and you're just on fire. You know what I mean? And you walk outside, and you go to the car park, and your tire's flat. <laughs> and instantly, you're faced with a new opportunity to praise <laughs> or a new opportunity to align yourself with something else. And yet, the Word of God says about praise, God hath ordained praise to silence the enemy, to shut the mouth of your adversary. But something comes immediately to steal the Word. It's incredible. When you first get the revelation of giving, you know what I mean? I'm going to be a giver. You know, giving is the heart of God. There's not a stingy part of God. I refuse to have my arm develop paralysis every time there's an offering. <laughs> You know, and you, you know, you, you know, and you, oh my God, I, I, I would give, but I can't. You know what I mean? And you say, I'm going to be a giver. And so, bless God, you write out a check, and I'm going to not only tithe, I'm going to give offerings and give alms, you know, the three categories of giving. I'm going to give offerings, and I'm going to do it joyfully, a cheerful giver, like the Bible says. Hallelujah. And you walk home, and you go home, and the washing machine explodes. The, the, the dishwasher blows up. The refrigerator stops. And all of a sudden... Well, I wish I had that money back. I can't afford to tithe. I can't. And you see, Satan comes immediately to take by force the message in a million different ways. And this is why you have to remain steadfast. Because you see, people often tell me as a Bible teacher, say, well, I don't understand. I started to do this stuff and all hell broke loose. And I'll tell them, absolutely right. You're learning the biggest lesson of your life. Because right now is when you persevere, it's not when you stop. Because God will see your faithfulness. And we have to stop there. I'll start there when we come back. Father, we just praise you that your word is life unto them that find it. It's health and healing to all, to all their flesh. And so we praise you for the seed that's come from heaven that will produce every single time what you've sent it to produce. There is nothing wrong with this seed. It's eternal seed. It's anointed seed. The issue is in our heart, Father, and we're going to tend our heart and tend this garden well so that we might produce the wonders of heaven for this earth. They need to have fruit, and we are the only ones that can bear the fruit of heaven. So we ask you to help us with this matter in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.